Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the latest edition of CouncilCast, the official podcast of the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. My name is Zach Ewell, Technology Associate here at the Council. Today, we're joined by Brian Comerford, Director of Strategy, Governance, and Innovation at IMA Financial Group, and Nick Lozano, IT Director at the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. Just last year, Nick and Brian started a new podcast called Lead.exe. It's a podcast that discusses leadership in technology. I had a chance to sit down with both Nick and Brian and discuss technology, where it's been, where it's going, and where it is right now in the insurance industry. Enjoy. All right, so first question. (laughs) There are tons of tech and IT podcasts. Uh, uh, What sparked the idea to create your own podcast now? Uh, Was it that you both wanted a hobby or something to have fun with? Or did you find that there was a blind spot within the tech and IT podcast community? I would say that, uh, you know, from my perspective, um, you know, already being passionate about uh, leadership and technology. Um, I've been in a uh, management role for so many years that really the, the best way for me to try to keep my own skills uh, fresh is having conversations with uh, other technology leaders and, you know, reading a lot of resources, finding um, whatever information that I can from the web and, uh, you know, really being able to participate in direct conversations um, is something that, uh, that I know Nick and I have both, you know, shared uh, a lot of uh, passion around, particularly uh, with some of the work that we've done uh, in our, our CIO working group. Um, and I think part of the process uh, for me, uh, also having a background in, in broadcast uh, media already, um, was that a natural extension of some of those conversations was something that could be more public facing. So I can't take credit for saying, you know, hey, I, I've got a great idea here. Let's push this out into the world. It really came out of a lot of mutual interest shared by Nick and I. And uh, and really, Nick just stepping forward and saying, hey, let's just do this. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> that, that was fair. It, no, I think it's a fair statement. And I think um, us as technology individuals, we kind of have that, um, you know, um, you know, where the heck am I going this? You know, we always have this, you know, feeling where that we always need to be constantly learning, right? We've spent our time always like, okay, what's the newest language? What's the newest technology? You know, what is Amazon doing? What is Google is doing? Um, you know, looking outside of whatever industry we're in, um, but we haven't spent as much time doing that from our soft skill side. Like, I, I don't know about you, but there, there's been times where, you know, I've, I've talked to people and you bring up the words emotional intelligence. Um, and, you know, that's a squishy, feely, you know, type of topic. But you'll find a lot of people in the technology fields who just don't know what that is. Um, so our idea of doing this podcast is more of a way for us to learn ourselves, I would say, Brian, right? Um, it's us plugging our curiosity. Um to, to learn these topics and things that we feel are, um, you know, top of mind that people should be thinking about. And there's things that Brian and I think about all the time. Sure. I mean, that, that makes sense. Uh, after listening to a lot of your conversations, um, y'all seem to be very, uh, 
into the questions you're asking, which <laughs> sounds like a dumb quite sounds like a dumb statement, but I mean it matters because I've listened to and, and yeah. read a lot of interviews where so I'll tell you like into- Brian and I's yeah. mentality of this is and and Brian has a bot broadcast background. Um a lot of things will will feel like scripted because mm-hmm. they'll give guests um you know questions. We're gonna ask this question and then after that question we'll ask this question and then after that question we'll ask this question. We always like to give our guests one question, right? Like um we might talk to somebody about data and we're like, okay, like what's the number one topic um that you know that you see companies are getting it wrong when it comes to data and that's the only thing we'll film with the rest we want it to feel like more like a natural conversation mm-hmm. um so we don't ever really prep our guests right brian i would say like we give them one question they they might some people come back just like hey don't you have a whole topic you want me to talk about this like <laughs> no i mean this is like this is a podcast yeah. we just want to ask you a question and see naturally where the conversation goes because sure. if you keep it more natural at least i find that it keeps it more more interesting you tend to go in more directions and prod and ask more questions um that you you wouldn't if you know everything had question one two three four five six it's dialogue more than it is you know a a canned um prepackaged program and i i think the other thing that you know being a podcast uh, having that authenticity of it really just being a natural conversation. Um, that's again, part of where the value comes from because we'll explore challenges that um, might not come to the surface. If we were sitting in a more formal, you know, sort of setting where, you know, one of someone who may be one of our guests might be a little more guarded about some of the things that they might want to disclose. So next question, uh, what is the strongest misconception around IT and the insurance industry? I would say that the strongest misconception about technology in general is that it sucks, right? We're in a point now where technology has been consumerized. What I mean by that is ever since um, the invention of the iPhone, um, consumers have had their hands on some of the most advanced technology year over year over year. There used to be a point in time when you would go to your office and that was the best computer you could get. That was, you know, the best internet you could get. Um, you know, nowadays someone comes into their office, they log in, it's a Windows machine. And they're like, you know, I log in, this thing takes 45 seconds to log in. What the hell is wrong with this computer? You know, I log in on my MacBook at home and it just logs in. Um, but little they didn't know on the back end is that, you know, we have security checking their permissions is checking the server to say, Hey, what can you access? Okay. What office here are you in? What printers do we need to attach to this? What, what network shares can you attach to? Um, all those things that, you know, end end users and consumers don't think of. Um, I would just say, you know, as technology has kind of rapidly changed, it's been more consumerized with, you know, Apple and Google and, and Facebook, you know, some of these huge players who have high investment R and D dollars, um, in the space. So I, I would feel like that people feel like technology sucks in general in a workplace setting, not just insurance in general. Um, I'm sure Brian can, can <laughs> add to that a little bit more. I think specific to the insurance industry, um, there has been, you know, the, I think one of the constraints for the industry is like the banking industry, insurance was one of the first industries to computerize early. So that was a good thing because, you know, in the 1960s, not a lot of industries were leveraging technology uh, to advance, you know, how their companies worked. 
Um, but part of the constraint comes when that is all of the legacy that's been put in place that's now actually holding back much of the industry. So we've got a lot of aging systems um, that are not uh, attuned to having modernized features like easy integration with web services or um, easy portability of uh, the data that's actually stored in the system. And part of what Nick was saying about the consumerization, we're all, you know, we as IT consumers in general are all very familiar with how easy it is to download an app on your phone, to use a service like If This Then That, to create your own custom automation to help make your life more efficient and easy. And all this stuff just seems to work together and it's easy to integrate and it's fast and, you know, so, it kind of correlating to what Nick was saying about, you know, the idea that technology sucks. Um, it's more that, you know, technology sucks because all of this stuff that's in the walls of uh, the insurance industry today uh, wasn't really designed around a lot of those modernized principles of high availability, high integration, high data accessibility um, that we've become very familiar with as consumers. And so consequently, it makes us feel like in our home life, we may have a much more efficient interaction with our technology than we do actually when we get to the place where we sit in front of a computer the longest, right, at work. Yeah. And I'd like other, to add that too, yeah. that it's not just the insurance industry that's feeling that, it's probably any highly regulated industry itself that is feeling the same thing that this industry does. Um, because I know before when I worked at Accenture, it was like you'd build like a school system with PeopleSoft and people were like, well, why does PeopleSoft suck? <laughs> it, it's, it's the same thing when you deal with a highly regulated industry. You know, the change can't come in there super fast mm -hmm. um, as it can in, in the public consumer sector where there's almost no laws. And now we're talking about regulating these companies to a point where they have you know, in the EU, they have to forget you if you tell them they need to forget you. Right. <laughs> um, one thing that uh, I guess it was mainly you, Nick, that you touched upon was when uh, it, it, back in the day, you used to go to your place of work and the technology, the computers uh, were actually better than what you had at home. Um, it was similar for me growing up. However, the thing is, is it was school. Yeah, school computers, right. and also this is this is where I mean I must say my bias towards Macs coming is that well you I, had the Apple IIs right yeah we, killing well, everything in Oregon Trail well, right we didn't even have that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was doing we, I was I was more print that two thousand <laughs> I was more of a two thousand so we actually had uh, like the colorful Mac I, I don't even know the IMAX yeah, yeah yeah so um but uh, that that's something the return of Steve Jobs is what you had <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah. Oh, that, that's something yeah. interesting that you said that I just wanted to comment on um, because and I mean it's 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 well school and work right because you're you're dealing with some place where they had enough resources to buy the internet you know the business grade enterprise class internet the enterprise type of equipment where back then consumers didn't get access to that type of equipment because sure. it was just you know it, it was priced out of reach for most most individuals yeah. Mm -hmm. um, one other thing I was going to add, add, if I could, <clears throat> another challenge that I think with technology right now in insurance is the rise of what's termed insure tech, 
So much like I, what, I hate that word too. I just go on the record. And I hate that. Much much like what uh, the entire financial services, especially banking, went through fintech. about fifteen years yeah. ago. Yeah, fintech. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, That's you know, just dorsal fins, but yeah. You saw things like uh, you know the rise of online banking, and this is all coming from very uh, you know upstart community tech developers very much in the same way that we're seeing it in the insurance space right now. Um, part of what makes that challenging is there's a lot of uh, hype and noise that we as technologists in the industry have to sift through to find out what's the real deal, right? Um, there are a lot of, I think, very viable um, technology startups uh, that are operating in what we would call the insure tech space. Um, but there's also a lot of point solutions and a lot of utility players. And part of what that means is, you know, you might have a little piece of a challenge solved by um, working with one of these insure tech providers, but it doesn't really give you a holistic solution mm-hmm. to a larger set of challenges. So um, for now, there's a lot of research that ends up being incumbent on technologists uh, to find out, you know, where are those really viable partnerships that could benefit uh, our organization within the, the industry? Um, and then because we're a state-by-state regulated industry, there's also a lot of challenges with tech startups coming along who really haven't taken the time to understand all of the variances of how um, our industry is governed. And they think they've created a solution that's going to be a holistic solution. Uh-huh. And it doesn't work in a lot of states just because of, you know, the like regulatory nature of the industry. So for us, it, it can be hard when you've got someone who is in sales in your organization or in executive management. They've gone to a conference. They heard about some gee whiz thing and they want to come back and find out when can we get some of that. And um, there are a lot of other considerations that have to go into the discussion before you just grab a solution, plug it in, try it. Uh-huh. Often millennials are looked at uh, by older generations as tech wizards, uh, if you say, um, since they are digital natives. However, what issues in tech and IT leadership do you think millennials and Generation Z will have to deal with when they become the dominant workforce and move into leadership roles? I'm going to start off by... I hate the word millennials. <laughs> I can't stand it. Um, you know, when we talk about these generational gaps, it, let, well, let's get to this point too. Like the average age of a millennial is probably in their early thirties, right? Like we look at this thing and we've constantly talked about the millennials are going to be different. And I just saw an article the other day, you know, it was like, Oh, millennials are different. They love to live in cities, but here's a circle. The millennials are moving out of the city because it's expensive and they have families. I'm like, well, that's what everybody else did. You know? (laughs) Um, So I think, you know, like millennials, I would say are the first generation probably where technology was introduced in school um, and everything, but they're not fully digital natives. I would say that probably. Could, could I interrupt you real quick? Um, when you say technology, could you describe that real quick? Because there's other types. Of- so when I say yeah. technology, I'm I'm talking about the big boom of the internet, right? Uh-huh. Which is like when you had access to Wikipedia, when you had an iPhone, when you had a computer. When you had a computer, you didn't have to use a Tandy word processor or go to a computer lab. <laughs> you had access to this stuff just at your fingertips, right? Because sure. computers have been around. Um, 
for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. It was just whether you had access to them or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would say is, you know, like the Gen Z generation is the first generation that's coming up who, who are digital natives. And, you know, to them, you know, your cell phone is just a camera, right? It's, <laughs> it's not, you know, like there'd be a point where Brian and I would say, oh, well, it's a digital camera, right? Did you have a digital camera? To them, like they don't have an idea what film is, uh-huh. right? So they're, they're a digital native. But I would, I would say that when we look at people in general and we split them in generations, um, I always just have an issue when people are like, oh, these are millennials. And, you know, they really like to know what they're doing and that it has a benefit to their life, right? They want to be doing something, <laughs> something. But isn't that everybody, right? Isn't that, you know, every generation, everybody wanted to do something? Maybe these are just the first couple of generations that were pretty vocal about it. And the internet has made it possible that someone can post a web blog somewhere out in rural West Illinois, and everybody around the world can see it instead of just that person in the small town. Um, I don't think there's as many challenges from a generational standpoint as what has been around from previous, previously before. But, but I digress. Maybe Brian can do this better. <laughs> I can. I'm just getting on my high horse and, you know, talking about how Brian. I hate people <laughs> say that millennials are terrible or Gen Z's are terrible. Before you answer, can you remind me, are you, you're, you a millennial or are you uh Oh no. You're not no, I'm millennial. I'm Gen X. Gen X. Gen X. So you know, sometimes I'm, uh, I'm Gen X and sometimes I'm millennial. But Nick, it just you're, depends you're on a millennial, right? right? Yes and no. It depends on what research paper you're research, looking at. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh I'm I'm one of those guys who, you know, I my first computer lab experience was in seventh grade with Mac Apple Classic yeah. Twos. Um, and while they were networked together, there was no place to go on the internet. In fact, there was no World Wide web until the year I graduated with my bachelor's degree from college. Um, so, uh, you know, I was dark, dark that was there, but (laughs) well, yes, yeah. Well, the internet existed, but not the web. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, I think, I think part of the perspective that, uh, I end up having, and probably Nick, you know, where he's positioned sort of intergenerationally. Um, there were a lot of things that, uh, you know, are easy now that came with a different set of challenges uh, in prior years. And so you had to have a mindset um, of curiosity and creative exploration that looks different from what uh, I've experienced with a lot of millennial workers um, that I've had to interact with. Um, where there tends to be less curiosity in terms of getting in and um, really trying to make something um, conform to the solution that you're you're trying to you know uh, solve for, um, it's almost more like if you don't have a preferences prompt or a configuration wizard, <laughs> you know I've seen folks kind of get lost because they're not equipped to think through things in quite the same way. Um, now that's obviously not true from, you know, the perspective of I've got an 11 year old son um, who, you know, he's grown up only in a world where every computer has a swipeable touchscreen. And when you go to code something, you can click in modular blocks and, you know, build a video game in 60 minutes, right? <laughs> so um, you have to there's... actually know how to do physics to, to apply the, the physics. <laughs> right. The, the principles. Sure. Yeah. 
so there's a you know there's a there's a very different mindset for you know that digital native um, kind of perspective than you know perhaps where I came from, um, but I think that for me a lot of uh, what I feel as a mentor I can help impart on younger generations um, is having more of uh, that empathic kind of view that I would characterize more with. Um, a role that we would call a business analyst today versus someone who's necessarily a technologist. And what I mean by that is um, human-centered design or what you hear termed a lot as experience design today. Um, those are things that, you know, they're, they're kind of hot buzz terms, um, but they're, they're foundational principles really to how software has been developed for decades. And um, it seems to be a set of characteristics that I have noticed have been lost um, because there's a lot of, um, hey, let's plug it in, turn it on and start clicking around and we'll, you know, we'll play with various configurations until we find what yeah. works versus before we get to any technology, let's sit down and let's have a dialogue. I want to get in the chair of someone who's actually working, you know, at the desk level, who's experiencing some of the challenges. Um, so that I can ask some diagnostic questions and get to an understanding of where the challenges are before we ever go out and try to find technology solutions. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add a simple example. And, you know, he said user uh, experience. And, and I saw this great image from, from somebody. It was like, okay, so you want to talk about user experience and design, right? So look at a glass Heinz ketchup bottle, right? It looks really great sitting on the table, right? You open it, makes a pop sound when it opens. But when you try to get the ketchup out of it and turn it upside down, it's a terrible <laughs> experience, right? It's something that looks beautiful, um, you know, makes a great sound, looks great sitting on the diner counter, but it's a terrible experience, right? As opposed to now you look in the ketchup bottles are plastic and they're squeezable, right? It doesn't <laughs> look as nice, but it's actually solving a problem that people have asked for where the other one design of somebody just thinking of what somebody wants instead of actually asking their customer or their user what they're asking for, which is what a lot of technology projects or I would say a lot of projects just in general where people go sideways is um, they're like, we know what our customer wants. Our customer wants this. It's like, well, okay, well, did you actually ask your customer if that's what uh -huh. they want or otherwise you're just assuming that's what they want. Um, we have that tendency in technology to kind of try to guess, right, Brian, what our users or our customers are want when that's, that's the wrong position. Um, it should always be checking with your users or your customers first to see if they like, Hey, am I going down the right road here? <laughs> yeah. I use a phrase with my teams pretty consistently, which is a very simple phrase, get in the chair. Uh, and that that's my way of saying, have some empathy to whatever the situation is. Right. If someone says uh, I'm having difficulty with a Skype meeting uh, and, you know, from a troubleshooting perspective, the technologist walks over and they look at all the settings and everything looks correct. And, you know, they can see that, well, it's connected right now. Um, you know, that's not really analyzing the situation that might be troubleshooting the technology. Um, but you're not asking questions of, you know, what's really going on with the human computer interaction there. And, um, and, and that's, that I think is, is one of those areas where there's a lot of growth and it's especially needed for up and coming uh, leaders in technology 
um, because technologists tend to think in very binary terms, right? It's either on or off. And if it's on, well, then the technology must be working perfectly. Um, but a leader, to my mind, has the ability to navigate through a lot of gray area. And that might be asking questions that get you to details that are understated by the obvious. So my next question, uh, <laughs> uh, you guys are going to be so excited. Currently, there are a lot of insure techs out there trying to make names for themselves and apply their tools and expertise into new technologies and markets. What are a few that you think our readers should watch out for in the future? Uh, okay, so I'm going to add one and it's, not an insure tech company. Oh, that's fine. Um, it's going to be Salesforce, right? Mm -hmm. They just released the financial services cloud, um, which could render a lot of what some of these insure tech companies are doing obsolete. Um, the, the great thing is about Salesforce is they've kind of deemed themselves as platform agnostic. It's like, hey, this is a place where you put your data, and if you want to get anything out of it or plug anything else into it, go for it. So outside of the insurance industry, most industries in general are kind of positioning to this place where they have had these monolithic systems that tried to do everything. Um, think of like a Leatherman knife, right? You pull it out, it's got a pair of pliers and it's got a corkscrew bottle opener and it's got a nail file. It does all those things, right? But it's not a great pair of pliers. It's not a great nail file. It's not a great knife because it's trying to do everything. Um, where Salesforce is coming in, they're like, okay, we're just the pliers, right? If you want to plug any other best and breed thing in here, go for it. You know, we, can, we can't possibly answer every XYZ scenario for you for an accounting system. Mm -hmm. We're not an accounting system. We can't make that perfectly. Um, you know, we're not a policy management system. Go plug something else that can do that. I would say the big thing that people should look at is what companies like Salesforce and the bigger players are doing to come into the insurance space. My last question. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was pretty specific. Um, if that won't keep us from rambling. <laughs> rambling, man. I'm telling you, man. If you were to pick anyone living today to be on your podcasts, who would oh. each of you interview and why? Living today. You go first. Brian. Wait, anyone living today? It yes. has to be living? Yes. Oh, gosh. Um. <laughs> and and I, I want to preface it can be anybody like as long as it's in your podcast but i mean i understand uh you guys have interviewed everybody from cios to photographers so <laughs> i mean uh yeah sure be anybody with the angle of your podcast you know i'm i'm gonna go with one that is you know, someone's probably going to say shame on you. That's so obvious, but um, I've, been, I've been caught up in this um, Netflix series on Bill Gates' brain. Um, I don't know if you've seen anything about it. No. Um, it's It's been really fascinating exposure for me because, you know, I, I felt like I knew a lot about Bill Gates. Um, I've never really thought of Bill Gates as an innovator. Um, you know, more of a fast follower who is able to uh, take the innovations being created by others 
and mm -hmm. bake them into a um, mainstream product delivery um, just faster, you know, and more effectively, I think, than a lot of his competitors. But I think what's particularly interesting about him at this phase in his life is uh, number one, he's married to Melinda Gates, and she's a pretty fascinating person in her in and of herself. Mm -hmm. um, but number two, together they, uh, you know, uh, co-chair the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is out in the world trying to solve some issues that I just find fascinating, and um, particularly given that they're they're trying to do things like eradicate diseases in all parts of the world um, that have been solved in the Western world uh, for a long time. They're trying to figure out how to deliver safe, cleaning uh, drinking water to 6 billion people on the planet who don't have it. And they're really using um, both their funding as well as uh, their network to be able to do outreach um, with uh, uh, just all, I think, m the most innovative minds uh, in the world to come forward and help solve this. And so it's really, to me, it's, it's really fascinating because, um, you know, I, I've often wondered why we don't have things like the World's Fair any longer, right, where you would bring together all the best in class of the world's innovators and have a showcase around, you know, this is what the future can bring us. Well, it's on the internet. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, um, you know, this is, this to me is a way, uh, you know, and there's a lot of different examples of it, you know, whether it's, you know, the X projects and all these types of things, but it's, it's a way to, to create outreach, um, to motivate people to uh, steer their creative thinking towards solving challenges that might not necessarily be the first thing that they're thinking about but because you know bill gates his work with the gates foundation has helped drive towards these very specific goals it's almost like it, it sharpens the focus for everybody to go take a look at it and figure out hey we can solve this i mean it's it's almost an apollo project kind of approach really? wow i gotta watch that documentary so bill gates yeah to make sure yeah, Bill Gates. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Well, the, the guy, the guy whose company is responsible for a lot of the bane of my existence when it comes to technology. Yeah, I'd love to talk to him. Yeah, I'm gonna say Steve Ballmer. No, I'm just joking. Ooh. Wow. I think. Um, not to interrupt you, I just remember that famous. Uh, it was like a, it was a voice bite. Uh, soundbite that where he said iphone will never take off because it doesn't have a clickable key. oh a start menu yeah, yeah a start button yeah he didn't it doesn't have like a textable yeah but yeah and then then <laughs> microsoft went ahead and took the start button out of windows 8 and that went well for them <laughs> <laughs> well i think for me like uh you know, I would say Bill Gates as well, but if I have to pick one that, that Brian hasn't said, I would say Richard Branson. Um, and a lot of them is because he does have that philanthropy mentality the same as Bill Gates. He's built his fortune um, kind of all by himself. I mean, I know Brian, who came from the music world as well too, knows Virgin Records, and he started that as a 17-year-old um, just in his house, never went to college, his mom's garage. Um, and he's just kind of always devoted to taking any money that he's had to try to build something better. 
right? You know, he was out doing privatized space, commercial space flight before SpaceX or Blue Horizons or any of this stuff existed. And everyone told him he was absolutely insane for doing this. And he's just like, well, I don't care. You know, this is something, you know, space travel should be privatized and I'm going to try to do it. Um, and then he'll go out and he'll try to fly a balloon around the world for some unknown reason because he read, he read a book, you know, and he actually attempted to do it. Um, and I think they came up short, didn't they? Yeah. Um, they didn't make it all the way. But, but what I like about him is, you know, he sees something that he has his sights set on and he just goes after it. He doesn't care what the public thinks. If he thinks it's the right thing to do, he just goes out and does it. Um, and like Bill Gates, he's given away a lot of his money. Um, you know, this is the type of things yeah. that you don't see with Jeff Bezos, where a lot of people praise him. But to me, I don't really see him as a leader because he's not always doing what I always feel like a leader should be doing. A leader should always be giving more than they're taking, right? You're not in a leadership level and you're not successful as a leader if you're not trying to give as much as you possibly can. Um, and I think it was Patton, right, who um, was a general in World War II. And um, I could be getting this 100% completely wrong, so don't <laughs> quote me on it. But I think the story is he's on the front lines, and they, they try to give him a coat, right, because it's cold mm -hmm. um, in the European front in the middle of December. And he's like, what would it look like to my people if I had not a coat and most of them don't even have winter clothes? Mm -hmm. He's like, how can I take that as a leader for the people who are below me? Um, so I just think really, you know, leaders should be a hundred percent giving more than they ever expect to take. You should be reaching out with your hand out to give somebody something instead of accepting something in return. That's yeah, that's, I've actually never heard that quote, but I mean, that sounds on brand with what Patton would have said. Yeah. So. No, don't write that because I'm not a hundred percent sure that <laughs> just fact check well, it. Let me make sure. Yeah, just, just fact, fact check, check it. it. <laughs> but, um, I think it always, it always goes back to this fact thing check. too. In, in the military too they're always like i, I love military history uh -huh. but it's always this thing and it's like you know leaders eat last right uh -huh. you don't walk up in the front of the line when you have frontline troops who've been out in the field all day and walk into the front of the line when you've just been back at the ritz carlton and somebody's been out in the field and you go up and eat in front of them you should always be letting your people do everything first sure interesting yeah yep. no that's uh I'll add one more fact check for you, Zach. Uh, Nick said Blue Horizons, but it's actually Blue Origin. Blue Origin. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't really matter, but yeah. And I'll just say that I was pretty pleased. Uh, I just saw the movie Ad Astra last weekend. I was pretty oh, pleased okay. to see that Virgin Galactic was the uh, public carrier that's yeah. <laughs> in the in the movie. <laughs> well, a lot, of, a lot of people, I feel like, forget about that, that Richard Branson was trying to do that like in the early 90s. Oh yeah, um, and everyone just thought he was absolutely insane. Huh. Um, you know, he was trying to do supersonic jet travel, and you know, he just takes risks and um, it's not afraid to spend money. He's just trying to learn and help people. I feel like, right? It's just, wow. um, yeah, you know? yeah. That's a great example as well. All right, um, I'm going. I could make a much longer list, Zach, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> let you no, off no, the hook. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to our guests, Brian Comerford and Nick Lozano. For more on Nick and Brian's podcast, you can go to leadexe.com. And thank you for listening to the Council Cast. 
You can listen more on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or SoundCloud. Please subscribe and leave us a review or rating to tell us how we're doing. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can find us at CIAB.com, at the CIAB on Twitter, or you can email in at councilcast at CIAB.com. See you next time.